Hello friends, welcome. Welcome indeed. My name is Jeremy McCandless and welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And this project is to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, thus transforming lives. You're very welcome if you're joining me here today for the very first time or that you've been with us right from the very beginning, nearly 500 episodes ago. If you are new to this, then why not make a decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life and click on the subscribe button wherever you're receiving your podcasts from. And then you'll not need to miss another single episode. And if you are here for the first time, you can just decide to pick up from today, whatever works for you, or go right back to the very beginning and just listen at your own leisure, episode by episode, for however long it takes you at your own pace. But with that all said, we'll pick up where we left off last time, midway through Matthew chapter 15, and do hang on at the end where I'll just let you know a few other ways you can connect to this ministry as well as access other teaching resources. So with that all said, bye-bye for now. Okay, friends, here we are today in our second of two days looking at this passage that covered the feeding of the 4,000. And I call this passage How Soon We Forget. But just for a moment before launching in today's episode, I would just like to mention how the fact that many Bible experts have pointed out that in three successive stages of his ministry, Jesus actually ended each stage by a sort of meal setting, if you like, eating with people and before people. And this is one of those three occasions. The first time was the feeding of the 5,000, which we looked at a couple of chapters back. And that came at the end of his ministry in Galilee, in the Galilee area. And it's worth noting that Jesus was never to teach or preach or heal again in the Galilee region. Second, we have here the feeding of the 4,000. And this comes at the end of his ministry to the Gentiles, one in which he went beyond the bounds of Israel, first in the districts of Tyre and Sidon, and then on carrying on ministering and teaching in Decapolis. And then we will later see, third and finally, that there will be what is called the Last Supper, which will be in Jerusalem when Jesus comes to the final stages of the days of his incarnation, in the flesh, so to speak. It's a powerful thought, I think, to realise that Jesus always left his followers with the strength and the resources to carry on. He always gathered people to himself, fed them both with the bread, the living word of God, and then with sustenance itself, and then sent them out able to continue on in the world. He always, it seemed to me, gave of himself and then moved on. And after he had given them what they needed to meet their physical sustenance, to meet their earthly needs, so to speak, he still comes to us, to them, to anyone who follows him with the same sustenance, the same bread of life, the thing that will satisfy the internal hungers of the human soul and leave people in the strength in which they're able to carry on living that way, doing that way, ministering in that way for all the days of their lives or whatever they're granted. Now you will remember I pointed out yesterday that in the previous miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 there were declared to be 12 baskets of leftovers. But the word used the first time for the first miracle was a word that referred to a small handbasket. 
a small wicker basket that would enable them to carry something with them. Uh, something that was filled with food would probably feed them for the next day or two. Possibly also would serve, of course, as a reminder of what had happened that day so they wouldn't forget it in the future. But what I really want to impress on you and remind you is that the Greek word that is used for the feeding of the 5,000, yes, it describes a little basket, something like a lunch pack, but in the feeding of the 4,000, the word used to describe the basket is a completely different word, a word that means a much larger basket, in fact, larger even than a modern-day family hamper. So what's going on here? What is the difference? And what is this message Jesus is trying to send? It seems to me it's almost as if Jesus is saying, look, first time I gave you a little basket full of food last time, something that you wouldn't forget, that you would remember what I've done, but yet you still forgot, which is why I'm going to try and teach you again today. So although on the practical level, he's clearly, compassionately meeting the needs of this crowd of 4,000 people, he is also at the same time trying to train and teach his disciples something, to encourage his disciples, in fact, to trust him. He is demonstrating, very importantly, that he's calling back and saying, look, I did this once, and I can do it again. And that would tell me that what he's done for us in the past, he can do again for us also today or in the future. That's the point here, that he's going to repeat the miracle and do exactly what he did a few months back. This tells me that today, when we too are faced with a similar situation, when we have seen the Lord work in the past, and then we face a similar situation in the present don't focus at that point on your own resources just remember that god was able to help you and he will do it again and that i think is the very clear simple point of this miracle in terms of what he's trying to teach the disciples so i'd like to now try and draw this section this chapter together these events together to a close by making two final points the first one is that the disciples clearly did not pick up on this because they immediately decided to focus on their own resources, which in this case was nothing. There was nothing that they could do to address this problem. I think that's often exactly what we do when we encounter an impossible situation. I wonder if any of you listening to this today are encountering something that you feel is impossible for you, you to deal with with your own resources right now. Well, I'm of the opinion that this sort of situation will not only happen from us to time to time, it, it will definitely happen to us from time to time, but in a sense, God designs life like that. He deliberately allows things to occur to remind us that we can never get through it all without him. Often in our selfish, sinful human nature, we want to try and remain independent. We want to stay in a position that we don't need anybody or anything or anyone to help us. We want to try and do it for ourselves. And what God sometimes does is he actually allows the repercussions of that to play out. He allows situations to happen, ones that you can't get through on your own, ones that you will not be able to get through without his help. That, in a sense, is God's training program. That is part of the plan of God for all of us, I believe. I've said it before, and I'm saying it again. The challenging times that we often face are opportunities 
for it to allow God to speak to us, to train us and to teach us something. He doesn't cause a situation, but he deliberately allows the situations to play out in order that we might get to a point that we might recognize that they are beyond our ability to address. Of course, what we tend to do is immediately look at our own abilities. But sometimes you think, you know what? You realize I can't do it. I can't deal with this. And I'm saying that when you feel that way, you are absolutely right. You absolutely can't do it on your own. It is beyond your ability. And that is an insight moment. And all you need to do is stop looking at your own resources because that situation remains hopeless when you do that. Because without God, this is going to be impossible for you to deal with it in your life. And this is especially true of our spiritual life. On another side of that coin, sometimes God asks us to do something that we cannot do without him. This isn't a matter of how much you know. It's a matter of who you know and how you will access that. Sometimes we won't call on him till we literally reach the end of our own resources. And it's only then that we will realize that this whole situation just won't work without God. And this whole problem, if we're facing it, just won't work out without God. As some have often said in the past, the issue is not our ability, it's our availability. Now here the disciples, they looked again to their own abilities and concluded that this was an impossible, hopeless situation they were facing. However, they not only looked at their own resources, they forgot they had access to God's resources. They had forgotten they had access not only to the resources but to the power of God, that both these things were available to them. And that's what's going on here. And what we should learn from it is that we too, too often forget. In this case, it was less than six months, perhaps even a little shorter, when they forgot what God had done. Six months, less than six months. I actually think they didn't too, do too bad. I sometimes feel I forget important spiritual lessons within the week. I hear it on a Sunday and I forget it by the next Sunday. Turn with me to Psalm 78 for a moment. Let me read to you a couple of verses beginning at verse 40. How often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yet again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power. That's like us, isn't it? The psalmist is writing about these people not remembering the resources they had available to him or to his power. It then goes on in the psalm for the next 20 verses or so to list the amazing things that God had done for his people yet again and again and again and yet again they forgot. When they were struggling or tempted, they limited God. They didn't turn to him and they limited him because they didn't remember his resources and his power that was available to do them. I submit that we too forget the things and when we forget what God can do and his power that is available to us, that falls very much to our own spiritual detriment. All the time, in fact, we do it. We forget God's power every single time we look to try and solve a problem just with our own resources. And I would suggest we are not only prone to do that, but we are also prone to forget what God has done in the past and thereby recognising that he can do it again in the now, in the present, in the current situation we're facing. 
In this case, these disciples forgot something that was critical to the situation that was right in front of them, even though a very similar situation had played out previously. Now recently, I must admit, I've discovered I'm having what some people describe as senior moments. I forget what I've done, I forget where I've put things, and apparently I can look forward to these increasing with age. I wonder if any of you, who are maybe over their 50s or their 60s, are beginning to have a tendency to forget things. Well, you know, they tell me that that's normal, and that's probably just an age thing. But let me tell you, friends, when it comes to spiritual things, I don't think it is an age problem at all, because I think everyone has a tendency to forget, and especially forget, spiritual truth, no matter what age they are, because the problem is not physical maturity, it's spiritual maturity. Imagine seeing a miracle of the feeding of 5,000 people from food, from resources that were virtually nothing. Do you think if you witnessed something like that, you would ever forget it? Well, this passage tells me maybe you would. And maybe we would if we were sitting on the sidelines watching it or just reading about it in his word like we're doing today. But these guys, these disciples, they were the ones who were there themselves. They were the ones who gave the food out and distributed it and saw it multiply out of their hands. They were on the field of play, so to speak. They were participating in the drama. They were part of the game and yet they still forgot. These guys forgot and they forgot this when they overlooked not only the resources that were available to them in God, but they forgot the power of God to deliver for them. Turn and look at, at, this, at Psalm 77 again, verse 11. And it says, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? You are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the people. You have with your arm redeemed your people. I want us to focus on this, this Psalm verse 11 just for a second. I will remember the works of the Lord, it tells us. The psalmist then goes on and talks about all God's redeeming work among the children of Israel, bringing them out of Egypt, etc. And he says, I will remember these works, he says. Now, I started out today by asking, what do we have to do to remember the things that are important in life? What can we do to remember what God has done, power God has, and what power is available to us in our lives? What do we have to do to keep remembering all that? To remembering that if God did it once, he can do it again. If he's done it once for you, he can do it again for you. What do you have to do to always remember the abilities of God and the power of God available to you? Well, I'd like to close off these couple of days looking at this story of the feeding of the 4,000 by making a couple of practical suggestions at how we might be able to do this. Firstly, I think this passage and the placing of it as a second reminder is the greatest argument I know for why everyone should read the Bible. Just read it. You don't have to be a theologian when you approach it. Matter of fact, that's probably not helpful because you can easily get bogged down in theology. Just read it. Just read it with the presence and the thought of mind that you want to be reminded of what God has done in the past. Like it says, you want to remember his works. 
I think we all need to take time to read the Bible to be reminded that God is a God of power and if he did things once that he can do them again. If he rescued someone once, he can rescue you. If he rescued you in the past, he can rescue you again today. If he saved you from a devastating situation once, he can save you from a devastating situation again. But in order to be reminded of that and be encouraged and stay in that place, then we must constantly approach and read the Bible. Because by doing so, you're not only going to learn a whole lot of new stuff about God and his plans for you, but importantly, you will also be reminded of God's works and his wonders. Not just his words, important as they are, life-giving as they are, but also you can be encouraged by knowing what he did. In other words, by knowing his works and his wonders and know that the same God can do them today. There are plenty of other verses in the Bible I could use just to say that we are called to meditate on his words. And that is true. And this verse also says that. But it also adds the little insight that we should also meditate on his works. So read the stories of the Bible and read them to be reminded that God has the power to do those things then and to do them again today. He did them 2,000 years ago with Jesus, 4,000 years ago plus in the Old Testament. And yes, he can do it again. He can do it for you here, today, in the now, whatever situation you're facing. But let me make another suggestion in this regard. Listen again to what Psalm 77 says. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on your work and talk of your deeds. So look, we need to remember, yes, we need to meditate, we need to study, we need to meditate on the works, but sometimes this means also turning off the background music in life. That's what meditating means. It means thinking, pondering on what God has done. And that's difficult in the modern age. Turn off the background noise, both physically and spiritually, and just talk to the Lord. Maybe one of the reasons we forget so often is because our minds these days are so cluttered. We get up in the morning and the first thing we do usually is switch on the TV or the radio. We set off in the car and we usually switch on our radio when we're driving and we're bombarded with messages all the way as we drive along the roads or the motorways or whatever way we go to work. There was a day when people didn't live that way, up until very recently in fact. If they had a job, it was often a manual job, some sort of physical labour. And they didn't have anything else going on in the background. The word meditate just means to simply recall something to mind and think about it. And I believe doing that would make us a lot less likely to forget what we have discovered or what was revealed to us when we actually took that time to approach God through his word. But there's more in this passage. The psalmist also says, I will meditate your work and talk on your deeds. So we need to talk about what the Lord is doing. And this is one of the reasons, one of the best reasons, one of the best arguments we need, I believe, to have fellowship with other believers. The problem sometimes with fellowship is that they sometimes can degenerate into just an endless run of people saying, woe was me, or just talking about their problems and just focusing entirely on a long list of calling on God to help. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that in its place, but you know what? If all you do is talk in your life about the problems in, in your life, then the truth of the matter is you've got a bigger problem than the problems in your life. 
If you can't see or find the blessings of God in your life, no matter what circumstances you're facing, if all you're seeing is the problems, then you really have got a problem. And you've got a bigger problem than all those problems you're talking about. And the problem is, is not that God is not working in your life, is that God is not being seen to work in your life by you. You're not recognizing it when he does it. And then you need to be asking why. And if he is working in your life, which he will be, then you should be talking about it and sharing it with others and encouraging yourself and encouraging others by doing that. That's what this verse, I believe, says. It says we need to get together in fellowship and pray, yes, but talk about what the Lord is doing. Talk about where the Lord is in your life. And if God is doing something in your life, then others need to hear about it. And by doing so, we encourage each other. And by doing so, we remember his word and his power. This psalm is not only a great argument for reading your Bible, it is a great argument for going to church and mixing with other believers. This is a reminder that to grasp the message of Jesus fully, you need to hear the word of God, and I would suggest you need to hear it in the sanctuary of God, among the community of of God's people, and thereby encourage other people. Encourage others by hearing about it be encouraged by hearing about it encourage others by telling others about it and by seeing it work out in the lives of your fellow believers that way you are reminded of god's power and you're reminded again of the fact that if he can do it once he can do it twice if he did it before he can do it again and to also remind you that anything that you ask him to do he can and will and will desire to want to give you the power to do it We all need to constantly hear about the word. Hear about the word and hear about the works of God. You just can't get enough of it, not on this side of eternity anyway. You need to hear the word of God taught and you need to hear the word of God talked. But to talk about the word of God, of course you need to read the word of God, meditate on it so that you can remember and recognize and see God working in your life and see his power. Our problem is we forget when we just need to remember. Let me finish by telling you a quick story that first appeared in the December 1944 issue of the Coronet magazine, an article called Dr. Lifesaver by Arthur Gladstone Keeney. Now, according to Keeney, Churchill, when he was a child, was saved from drowning in a Scottish lake owned by a farmer and saved by that farmer's son, a young lad called Alex. Later, Churchill's parents telephoned the farmer in gratitude. Churchill's parents were so grateful that they said to the farmer, what could we possibly do to thank you? And the farmer said, well, my son would like to be a doctor, but we can't afford to send him to medical school. The Churchill family immediately said that they would pay for him to go to medical school. That young man grew up to be Sir Alexander Fleming, the discoverer of penicillin. Now, many, many years later, in 1943, when Winston Churchill was Prime Minister of England, he became ill with pneumonia while visiting British troops in the Near East, causing penicillin to be flown out specially to effect his cure. So once again, in a sense, Alexander Fleming saved the life of Winston Churchill, not once, but twice. But that was only the son of a farmer. He did it once, and he would indirectly do it again. 
And if you just remember that the one who saved us from devastating situations before was actually God himself, then remember, he can absolutely do it again. Like this story tells us, he saved 5,000 and then he saved 4,000. So never forget to remember his power to always do it and do it again. Okay, friends, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, you should be able to access links and a full transcript of everything I've said wherever you're receiving your podcast from. But if you're not seeing active links there, let me remind you that this podcast is hosted on thebibleproject.buzzstrike.com and you'll always see active links there. Places where you can not only access the transcript of what I've said, but other teaching resources and discipleship programs, other places where I make that sort of material available, always free at no cost and always freely available in the public domain. And if you find that you are enjoying this time together and benefiting from this amazing journey we're on, then could I ask you to perhaps to like or share it on social media because that is the way I'm told that more and more people will be given the opportunity to make the study of the life-changing Word of God part of the rhythm of their daily lives. There's also ways in which you can connect with the ministry available there and even support it financially if you want to. With that said, all that matters is is that you're here along for this journey and you're experiencing what God wants to teach us all through the daily study of his word. So with that all said, I'll say bye-bye for now and I'll look forward to seeing you back here again tomorrow on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.